Weird Al humor is sort of like part fart jokes kind of energy and dad jokes. Well, and it's trying to walk that fine line of parody without mockery. Without vulgarity. I feel like you're laughing with him, not at him. And I think that's a key difference. Weird Al was essentially creating memes before there were memes. Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Gen X Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's joined by friend of the pod, Pat, to celebrate the man Kurt Cobain once called America's modern pop rock genius. Yes, I'm talking about Weird Al Yankovic. But before we talk parodies, polka, and puns, I'd like to remind you to rate and subscribe if you're enjoying the pod. Welcome to the pod, Pat. Hey, good to see you again. Good to see you too. Do we dare to be stupid? Always. Always. It's always nice to see you on Zoom. I'm sorry that I don't put these videos up on YouTube, but you know, my lighting is just terrible. So if it'll make you feel better, there's many videos that should not be up on YouTube. But thank God Weird Al is on YouTube because what a fun revisit. Well, and he's actually... um, There was a great thing around 2014. He kind of, I don't want to say he rebranded, but he changed the business model because um, his record company, his producers wouldn't pay for the videos. And so he went out to eight separate um, video, you know, whether, whether um, funny or die or these different, you know, Uh organizations. And he said, tell you what, you pay for my video and I'll produce the video and you'll have content and I'll have a video. And so he did this with eight different websites. And so in eight days, he put out eight new songs that that were there and they got content. And what was hilarious is he's being interviewed on like the Fox Business News and the guy who's hosting it has no idea what he's talking about. He's like, how do you make money on this? And Weird Al's like, you know, essentially the videos are like a big commercial for the album. So theoretically they go out and they buy the album. Because they like the video, yeah. Right. He's like, but do the websites pay you for me? He's like, no, no, I get, I get a video out of you. And it was just, it was really funny watching someone so smart with the business model, trying to explain that to someone who hosts a business show. It's amazing because you look at Weird Al's body of work, you look at his catalog and you think, okay, he's a lyrical genius. He's quirky as hell. This guy's amazing, but he was actually a genius he started school early and then he skipped the second grade. So he was actually like two years younger than his peers. He's a very, very intelligent man. And he was the valedictorian of his class at age 16. Weird Al has now been releasing song parodies for seven presidential administrations. Oh my God. He has outlasted two popes, five Supreme Court justices. He is one of only Five artists, along with his earlier muses, Michael Jackson and Madonna, to have had a top 40 single in each of the last four decades. Unbelievable. And yet at the end of, you know, when he was talking to People Magazine um, about Eat It, he said, my ultimate goal, said Yankovic dreamily, is to be bigger than the Partridge family. That probably isn't (laughs) true now, but someday. What a legend. It's amazing. I mean, Homer Simpson said he who is tired of Weird Al is tired of life. And you know what? I could not agree more. I think it's just the fact that he has tapped into, I'll use the big word, zeitgeist, 
Oh, well, okay. Now my personal background with this might explain some of this. Remember how some time ago I mentioned that I was like painfully shy as a child yes. and I like Weird Al, I listened to Dr. Demento religiously. Right. Um, so much so that I didn't discover rock music until 1985. Okay. And the only reason I know it's distinctly 1985 is because it was Back to the Future and um, Huey Lewis in the News. <laughs> and so up till that point, I didn't know the source material. I only knew the parodies. Okay. And so when you and my sister would talk about like, oh, there's like a virgin. And I'm like, going, ah, that came later. No, that came first. But right. I know like a surgeon. I don't know like a virgin. Right. Right. And, and so my introduction to it, um, if you want to take the awkward nerd who stumbles around, and I think that's really who he appeals to. And ultimately, there's some of that in all of us that we're all awkward or weird or quiet or introverted, not introverted in a bad way, but just kind of, you know, away from people. And, you know, he's that guy and he appeals to those people because we're all like that at one time or another. We absolutely are all like that. I mean, to varying degrees, but anyone that has ever felt sort of other or misunderstood feels like there's a place for me with Weird Al. Humor is is really the ultimate like collective place where everyone, no matter where you come from in life, can all sort of like hee hee agree on and all have a good laugh. I think Weird Al really did make people feel seen, people that otherwise didn't feel seen. And I think that that's really powerful. And I think that speaks to his lasting legacy. Well, and it's the one he established. And for a guy who started off by playing, you know, my Bologna in the bathroom at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. I know. Talk about coming a long way. It's amazing. His origin story is so incredible. Let's talk about it. Alfred Matthew Yankovic was born October 23rd, 1959 in Downey, California. He was raised in Linwood. He was an only child. And you might be thinking like, how does one get started learning how to play the accordion? I mean, it's a question <laughs> I have always wondered when I see people whip out an accordion. I'm like, how did that happen? Well, his story is pretty hilarious. Right before his seventh birthday, a salesman came to his door offering accordion or guitar lessons at a local music studio. At a time when guitar was the king. Was everything, right? Like, right. like the coolest instrument. But his parents chose the accordion because, according to Al, they were convinced it would revolutionize rock. Boy, <laughs> I've heard of optimists in the world, but he got absolutely obsessed with Elton John's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Yes, I have that in my notes. It made me so proud. So he credited that album for helping him learn how to play rock and roll on the accordion. Those two phrases, rock and roll and accordion, accordion. just... <laughs> I, I always think there's an old Far Side cartoon that it's like, welcome to heaven, here's your harp. And the other side is, welcome to hell, here's your accordion. Um, <laughs> and the other side to it is, it's the uh, the, the, the day the, the traveling salesman comes is the day before his seventh birthday. Right. Happy birthday, kid. Uh, here's the accordion. <laughs> it's your squeeze box. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and his mom is supposed to be this massively overprotective mother that... Went so far, apparently his house was across the street from, I think it's Linwood High School. Okay. And she would take binoculars and 
watch out across during PE to make sure he wasn't getting picked on. Oh, wow. So we're talking like if there's such a thing as stalker mom. Wow. That's some real helicopter parenting right there before it was in. Oh, she, I read something where she would take the mail that arrived and catalogs. And if there was anything, anything even remotely uh, controversial, she would go through with a Sharpie, like a big, thick Sharpie and block out bikini pictures or bra advertisements or wow. anything. That Sears catalog didn't get past her. no. And from, uh, you know, with no disrespect to any of his physique, yeah, yeah, he's got the glasses. He's got, he's got the stereotypical nerd look and combine that with a personality. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, growing up, his comedic and parody influences included Stan Freeberg, Spike Jones, Alan Sherman, Shel Silverstein, Frank Zappa, and of course, the various artists that you mentioned on the Dr. Demento radio show. Which, I mean, they're all hilarious. Amazing. Alan Sherman is the of the well-renowned Hello Mata, Hello Fada, right. you know, and so the influence is clearly felt in Weird Al's music. Right. And you mentioned he graduated high school in 1975 as valedictorian of his class at like 16, right? Yep. And then he attended Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, Cal Poly Slow. Uh, where he ultimately ended up earning a bachelor's degree in architecture. Because that tracks, right? Yeah. I mean, you gotta be you gotta be kind of smart to earn that degree in architecture. He must have been really good at math. Well, and he also did what I think a lot of us do going to college is he tried to reinvent himself. Indeed. He tried to at this is the point where the notion of Al emerges. Not Alfred, Al. And not just Al, weird Al. Well, but that's the thing. He was called that by the people in his dorm um, because he was kind of weird and kind of shy and he would wander and just kind of look at them and then wander along. And so they started calling him Weird Al and they did not mean it as a a compliment. They were they were using it to mock him, but he reclaims it and begins using it as a DJ from the Wednesdays midnight to 3 a.m. shift at the local college radio station, and he christens himself Weird Al. Isn't that fantastic that he used that to his benefit to create this persona that ended up just launching his entire career? I love that, that he took it and he said, okay, you guys are going to call me that? Okay, I own it. What that means is there's some nameless dorm guy from the late seventies going, I was the one that called him that I get credit for that. You know, <laughs> like, I know. it's true. There's a guy that's like weird. Al owes me millions. Oh yeah. I, trademark copyright. <laughs> that's mine. You know? And uh, so he becomes this DJ, but it wasn't until open mic night at Cal Poly in 1977. And the write-up of it is imagine the scene. A bunch of long-haired idealists with banjos and acoustic guitars ready to shock the world with the beauty of their finger-picking. And then Weird Al steps on stage. He brought with him not only his accordion and his large glasses (laughs) and his little mustache, but his whole awkward, chaotic energy. Miller set up his bongos, and together the pair launched into the exact opposite of earnest folk music. Yankovic played Wipeout and also Sprake Zacharathrestra, and a 10-minute medley that he claimed covered every song ever written in the history of the world. Before that night, Yankovic's public performances included childhood accordion competitions and a cousin's <laughs> wedding. Now he was sharing his <laughs> own music. Bar mitzvah here. <laughs> right. You know, doesn't, isn't that, well, the, the accordion, that fits. 
But now he was sharing his own music, the essence of himself with a room full of strangers. The odds were high he would bomb, then disappear back into his tiny room forever. Instead, the opposite happened. The crowd went wild. <gasps> Weird Al's ridiculous music got a standing ovation. Oh. The applause would not stop. People hollered for more. And they ended with, for a kid who had spent his entire childhood being either ignored or bullied, that sudden validation was transformative. His friend Miller remembers looking over at his shy friend and seeing Yankovic's face lit with total joy. It was glowing, he once said, like Chernobyl melting down. What article was that? That was the that was the Anderson article in the New York Times uh, magazine, which is titled "The Weirdly Enduring Appeal of Weird Al Yankovic." Oh, we will year. link that in the show notes. That's fantastic. So he actually had a real life Napoleon Dynamite moment. How many times do we see someone put themselves out there and the cool kids go, right. oh, that's yeah, stupid. You. Like in a room full, I think I had read like in a room full of wannabe Dan Fogelbergs, you know, he steps out there and he's just like fully in himself and his weirdness and he owns it. Like when we think of, there's a, there's a big focus nowadays. I'm sure you've seen it with your kids. I've seen it with mine. The big focus of, you know, there is no bullying and we're going to prevent that. And right. you know, there's emotional safety. He was in the shower at college and they stole his clothes. Um, uh, this is how he became friends with Miller is that they, you know, a, a group of these jerks stole his clothes and he was mortified and he came out and he wrapped the shower curtain around himself and ran back to his dorm. Uh, and Miller looked at the guys and he's like, you're jerks. And he takes the clothes and brought them to um, back to Al and they started talking and he said something like, oh, do you play the accordion? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, what about this? And he comes up with this really obscure deep cut song from Elton John. And he said, Weird Al pulled out the accordion and played the 11 minute song note for note from memory. Oh, I love that. And it just, but they've been lifelong friends since that time, which oh, great. you think of the moments that, you know, where your friends come from at your you know roughest points and you think, wow, they're still around in a good way. In a yeah. good way. Yeah. And so in 1976, Dr. Demento actually spoke at Cal Poly SLO and Yankovic gave him a tape of an original parody song that he had performed on the accordion. It was called Belvedere Cruisin' and it was about his family's Plymouth Belvedere. And Demento loved it. He put it on the air. He said, Belvedere Cruising might not have been the very best song I ever heard, but it had some clever lines. I put it on the air immediately and people responded to it. And so from exposure like that to then having a platform on his radio show on the college station, his confidence was building. The more that he performed and people seemed to respond, he was inspired to create a parody of the Nax My Sharona called My Bologna. Like you mentioned, he recorded it in the bathroom across the hall from the college radio station. And so he sent that in to Dr. Demento. Dr. Demento played it on the air. People liked it. Great. But it wasn't until Al gave a tape of My Bologna to the lead singer of The Knack, who had been performing on campus at SLO. And the lead singer loved it. He loved it so much that he told uh, the VP of Capitol Records, Rupert Perry, you guys need to put this song out on Capitol Records. And then they decided to do that. And that was his first record deal. And you talk about how the music business has changed. 
Oh, I know. Days (laughs) of hi, here's a tape of my music. See what you think. And maybe this will get me something. And so, you know, nowadays I'm trying to think of like what that would look like now. And it would be like my bologna on a TikTok. Absolutely. And it would have to go viral. Yeah. You know, it's funny because in watching these videos for some of the songs that we're going to talk about here, someone said in the comments, like Weird Al was essentially creating memes before there were memes. Absolutely. As a footnote to the Cal Poly bathroom story. Yeah. To this day, Cal Poly marks that bathroom with a plaque as the birthplace of Weird Al Yankovic's career. Shut up. (laughs) I'm not kidding. That is so so great. And that's funny is he graduates with the degree in architecture. architecture. He actually finishes. He doesn't, it's not the stereotypical, you know, oh, I've been discovered. I'm leaving college. I'm going to go on tour. You know, he, he actually finishes it. And, you know, moves down to Hollywood. He's sleeping on a Murphy bed. He's got, you know, and he's trying to get started. So we go from my Bologna to his spoof of um, two years later. Another one rides the bus, spoofing Queens. Another one bites the dust. Bites the dust. Yes. And then we get to Ricky. Instead of Mickey. Mm -hmm. And I love Rocky Road instead of I love rock and roll, which from those four, you can figure out food becomes a central idea. Yes. And the understanding that I've read about it is that it's the fact that food is a universal. Everybody has to eat. And so anyone can relate to it. And, you know, in fact, and and we'll get to Smells Like Nirvana a little bit later, but when Weird Al reached out to Kurt Cobain for permission to do Smells Like Nirvana, Kurt Cobain's first question was, what's it going to be about? Is it going to be about food? (laughs) And Al's like, actually, no, it's not going to be about food. But that was his question because food is a theme throughout so much of his music. Yeah. Right. And depending on, you know, your perspective, funny or bad, I do find myself kind of wondering how it would be treated today if it came out that way. Um, Yes. And I would like to talk about that a little bit more when we get to fat. Right. Yeah. I, I, I thought the same thing, but mm-hmm. he's he's also routinely seen as just extremely nice and incredibly polite. And he doesn't have to ask for permission. Parody is protected as, as a form of expression, but he routinely asks everybody who he's going to parody saying, is this okay? Is that all right? Because he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to rub you the wrong way. And, um, Andy Samberg said, he is so, so incredibly nice. He's the nicest person you'll ever meet. Exactly what you're dreaming he'll be like. And the the article on Anderson says, no one has ever heard Weird Al raise his voice in anger. He doesn't swear. When a script comes to him with a bad word in it, he politely asks for revisions. Sometimes experimentally, his wife will try to get him to say a curse word at home. Come on, honey, it's just us, she'll say. But he refuses. <laughs> oh... He's kind of old school. He's old school. And in reading YouTube comments, somebody said, Weird Al is proof you don't need to be vulgar or mean-spirited to be funny. You just need to be creative. And he's lived his life that way, and it's so admirable. It's really cool. The history on his parents, his mom was like from Kentucky and was very quiet and super protective. His dad had won two Purple Hearts in World War II, and that man produced Weird Al. so it's kind of a full circle in a weird strange way 
Let's talk about Eat It. So Yankovic released his second album, Weird Al Yankovic, in 3D. This came out in 1984, and the big hit on it, obviously, was Eat It, which is a parody of the Michael Jackson song, Beat It. Now, on BBC Three's 100 Most Annoying Songs, (laughs) Weird Al Yankovic said, I was very surprised to get permission from Michael Jackson. This is 1984 when I did Eat It, when Michael was the king of pop. We sent him a request. Can we do a parody of your song and call it Eat It? We thought we'd never hear back. It took a few weeks, but we heard back and he said, yeah, that's fine. And in a later interview with Metro in 2003, Yankovic said, he was the first megastar to give his blessing. When he let me do Eat It, it raised the bar. I could then phone people who had said no and say, well, Michael Jackson doesn't have a problem. And so it gave him a lot of credibility. The biggest star in the world has said, yeah, go ahead, parody me. And not only did Michael Jackson say, yeah, he actually really liked it. Well, and I think that speaks to, I, I, there's been a lot about Michael Jackson and obviously Indeed. our current knowledge of the man and the performer versus what we knew when we were kids. Yes. But, you know, that was like one of my first albums and I could recite all of the songs sure. from memory. I probably still can. But it's the fact that his confidence as a performer to say, you know what, you can totally make fun of me. And I think that only heightens things because then people go like, oh, that's just like, I mean, not that you really need to heighten the popularity of the King of Pop at that right. point. But I did find it funny that uh, the People article pointed out that um, Eat It was at number 13 on the charts after only five weeks. And then they add higher than Beat It was after the same period. It's <laughs> <laughs> so great. So the song Eat It is basically a song that speaks to parents that are frustrated with their children's picky eating habits. That would be me. That would be me too. Okay, so picky eaters. I am one. I gave birth to two. It's tough. I can't tell you how many times I have thought about this song in their toddler years when they were just at their most picky. Did you used to sing this to your kids? I did not. It's kind of funny. Weird Al was such a dominant part of my childhood. And then, you know, you reach like middle school and like, what's the line? You know, you put the childish things away and you move Uh forward into, you know. And so it was part of my formation, but I had kind of moved on to other things with my identity. And yet it's a very, very dear part of who I am, which I suspect is what it is for a lot of people, too. Um, Yeah, it's like Weird Al humor is sort of like part fart jokes kind of energy and dad jokes. It's like that snicker, snicker. This is so silly. This is so funny. It appeals to kids, but then it also, I think, really like, I don't know that the middle school crowd these days really has their finger on the pulse of Weird Al, but I feel like if they did, they'd be all over it. I'm sure they're like anything, there's a niche crew that follows and, you know, gets into it. The guy, um, the guy who did the New York Times story talked about going to a concert of Weird Al's. And he's like, really? A concert? Do you really do like a concert for parodies? And he's like, he was so into it. And he's like, and the crowd that ranged from kids who were like in single digits all the way up to 60 year olds. And they came in and they had Weird Al hats with Weird Al pins and Weird Al shirts and Weird Al, you know, and and there's a picture um, in the article of Weird Al standing in front of 283 of his fans, all wearing bright, loud Hawaiian shirts with the frizzy, curly, what was described as poodle hair 
Uh, some with mustaches, some without, both genders, you know, glasses, the whole nine yards. He did get LASIKs about 20 years ago when people got all upset because he stopped wearing glasses. Those but, signature um, glasses. You know, it's so fantastic, though, that he's created this community. And it's his live shows are really a thing that, like, everyone from grandparents to little grandkids can go to as a family. You don't need to really worry about vulgarity. You know, we we talked about how he's a clean artist, clean comedian. and you can all just get together and have just like good old fashioned family fun together in celebration of Weird Al. There's so few things you can do like that. The proverbial good, clean fun. Yes, exactly. I think my favorite part of the whole thing is when he was interviewed, um, when they when they shot the video. And I, I will preface, you've heard repeatedly, I didn't have cable. So my exposure to these songs were, it was completely audio. I, right. I didn't see the, the videos till later. And in a couple of cases, I mean, I, don't think I ever saw Smells Like Nirvana until this. Oh, really? Okay. But I, I when he was interviewed um, about doing the video for Eat It, <laughs> Weird Al said, well, it's kind of a natural thing to do because of the close physical resemblance between Michael and myself. <laughs> it's uncanny. <laughs> Twins. And his willingness to put himself out there. And, you know, so the video opens up in, I mean, almost... It's shot for shot. You could literally look on YouTube and there are lined up. It's just in there. That's how I watched it, Pat. I pulled up in one window, beat it. I pulled up in the other window, eat it. And I would watch like a few frames of each one side by side. And I could not believe it. It was so great. Like, let's talk about favorite parts. Okay, so in Beat It, one of like the cool guys, I don't even know, he pulls a girl's hair back to kiss her. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And then in the Eat It video, the dancer goes to do that and rips the girl's head off. And then tosses the head at the bartender or whoever. I know, I died. And And then, you know, they had in the Beat It video, the dancers were coming up like through the manhole, like all cool. And then the guy gets stuck. Stuck. It was so great. So tell me about your impressions with the videos. I was just going, I I thought it was hilarious because he ends up using a few of the same dancers who appeared in the Jackson original. Love it. I think one of my favorite points is it's a quiet thing. You have to pay really close attention. When Weird Al jumps out of the bed, like, you know, just like Michael at the beginning. Right. There's a picture on the wall that falls down. Yes. And the picture is of Dr. Demento. I saw the picture fall down, but I didn't realize what it was. Right. So it's kind of like full circle. But the fact that he's almost paying credence, I was trying to see what it was for Michael. And I was wondering, I I didn't know if it was a family picture. I didn't know. The other possibility I was wondering is if it was like a religious picture. And I'm thinking like, oh, so this is like Weird Al's God. You know, I see. He's referred to Dr. Demento as his uh, D mentor. Ah, D mentor. Yes. Right. But I like the the white coat leader who comes out with a big happy face on the back of his jacket. Yes. They're walking out with their tops and clearly they seem to have forgotten to have put their pants, pants on. on. I know. They're, <laughs> they're, they're walking all in out boxers. Their they're walking out all tough and they're all in boxers. It's great. Right. And when Weird Al is in bed, like Michael, he's got all this food all around him. Like there's chips in the bed. There's a pizza in the bed. There's food on the nightstand. And I have to say though, Weird Al not a terrible dancer. No, he's got some moves. He's got some rhythm. I thought to myself, when you're trying to spoof Michael Jackson. And Michael at the height of his power and moonwalking and 
you know, that everyone and their brother wanted to dance like that. That is a very, very challenging copy. And like he put himself in it fully. And there were times where he was awkward as hell with it, but still like way better than I could do, like on my best day. Well, yeah. I also think that's a tribute to the way Weird Al does it because you know, it might be silly or stupid, but he's going to go full board. It's going to be all out. You get all or nothing. There is no halfway with him. There isn't. I mean, he is full balls to the wall with this. He fully commits. And whether that is, you know, after he does that one like knee pop off to the side, just like Michael. <laughs> right. And then he turns around and jams a banana into his face. Right. You exactly. know, um, <laughs> what? The contrasting narratives, because if you look at the original Beat It, it's, you know, gang one is getting ready and gang two is getting ready. And we do cuts back and forth as they're preparing. And he does the same thing, except for there's a slight twist where aside from the fact that you know, half the crew didn't remember to put their pants on. Then we have in the original Beat It, they climb into the back of a pickup truck and we're on our way to the rumble. But in Eat It, they're all standing there waiting for the bus. <laughs> and that scene where the wrists are tied together in the Michael Jackson Beat It video and they pull their switchblades and they're engaged in this like dance. It's a very West Side Story kind of choreography. Yes. It's, it's pretty cool. It's so funny in the Eat It video because these guys, their wrists aren't tied together. They're each holding the leg of like a rubber chicken or something. Yes. yes. And, and, and instead of knives, they pull cutlery. My, my favorite comment was the one, one of them pulls a fork and the other one pulls a spoon. And the comment with the guy was like, I got my money on the fork guy. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> he's going to win. The cob is hot out with a spoon. And then we have to talk about that epic Eddie Van Halen solo. Well, the original, the famous guitar solo, which in, in, in Michael's is performed by Eddie Van Halen. I say Michael because, you know, we're on a first name basis. Right, of course. <laughs> it was reproduced by Yankovic's producer, Rick Derringer. What's interesting about Rick Derringer is that he he was in some other bands and stuff as time went on, and he became a producer for Weird Al because he thought, you know, this guy's got gold and this is this is going to work. So he plays it in the recording. In the video, it's played by uh, Jim West, the the one who's playing the guitar, which begins to smoke, smoke. and then explode. Explodes, yes. um, but Derringer's history is he played guitar on two hit power ballads written and produced for Jim Steinman, but. Jim Steinman also created Air Supplies, Making Love Out of Nothing at All, and Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart. But he ends up, he starts producing uh, Weird Al Yankovic in 1983, and he believed that Yankovic was going to be a success and didn't want to wait for the record company involvement. So he ends up producing uh, six albums between 1983 and 1989. And it ends up being remarkably successful. And of course, because this is Weird Al, when we finally get to the end and he turns around, he's got the cat eyes. From Thriller. The reference to Thriller. So on October 19th, 1989, the Recording Institute certified it as a gold single. You know, the song ended up reaching number 12 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, and it even won a Grammy for Best Comedy Recording in 1985. He was interviewed about that because I think he's now got five Grammys. Okay. And they said, well, how do you feel about that? And he's like, well, the first one is really kind of the coolest because after that you get to say Grammy Award winning artist. Right, exactly. In, you in front you of your name. carry that forever, oh. right? And and Jackson really had no reason to complain because he received royalties from Yankovic due to the strong similarities. So Heck yeah. he's getting money out of this. Eat It kind of laid the groundwork for everything that came after that. Because once you've taken on Michael Jackson at the height of his power, it's going to be everywhere. You know, everyone's going to hear that. 
Exactly. And to your point of knowing the parody versions of songs before knowing the actual original song, someone wrote in the YouTube comments, back in the 80s, my roommate bought me a ticket to a Michael Jackson concert because she didn't want to go alone. I sang along to beat it with Weird Al's lyrics because they were the only ones I knew. I thought she was going to kill me. (laughs) But that's even affected because he does um, a song about Star Wars, not Yoda, but he does another one about the saga begins to American Pie. And Don McLean, who's the original performer, talked about the fact he's like, my kids kept playing that and they kept singing it. And he's he talked about that he would be on stage and he would be thinking of Weird Al's lyrics instead of his own. I think I read that he got it wrong. Like in some performance, he was singing and he was like, oh, crap, I'm singing the Weird Al lyrics instead of my own lyrics, to my own song. Right. It's it's the, those things that you just scratch your head and go when the original artist is messing up the lyrics of your of your of their song with your parody, you've arrived. You, you have you, arrived. <laughs> it's true. So we'll link to eat it in the show notes. Go ahead and check out the video if it's been a while. It's been viewed over 40 million times. So go check it out. Well, from eat it I'd like to go to fat, not because these happened one right after the other, but let's keep Michael Jackson together just to keep it all neat and tidy. Fair enough. Okay. So Fat is a parody of Michael Jackson's Bad, and it was released on April 12th, 1988 on his album, Even Worse. Again, it's almost a shot-by-shot parody. Did you go back and watch the Michael Jackson bad video? It's really long. There's this whole like cinematic thing that happens before the song actually starts. This video was directed by uh, Martin Scorsese. It's all shot in black and white. There's this whole story about how Michael Jackson is a student at this preppy school and it shows him leaving the school to come home back to his neighborhood in New York. And he's met by his friends that are happy to see him, but then they're sort of like taunting him because they're like, you're different now. Like you're preppy. They call him like Joe College. Like you're not really one of us anymore. You've changed. You know, Wesley Snipes is in the video, a young Wesley Snipes. That was fun to see. He's like, you know, are you bad? Are you bad? And then Michael gets mad and he's like, you want to see who's bad? Let's go. And then this is when the music starts. And with the Weird Al Fat video, this is where the video begins. So I didn't realize it was done by Scorsese. That uh, that kind of doesn't surprise me. Yeah. But it's the set that Weird Al got to use as a result that um, the video set was a recreation of the set for Michael Jackson's bad video, which had recently been constructed for use in Jackson's film Moonwalker. Jackson let Weird Al use the set for free. So it's not just that Michael is allowing, he's actively encouraging and enabling and making it possible to support these things, you know, and that one goes on to win a Grammy for best concept music video. Yes, in 1988. And it's a parody. (laughs) I know. It's amazing. I mean, so to be able to use, you know, some of the same cast, to be able to use the exact same set, to have the full support of the artist that you are parroting, all of these things together are what make it so authentic. Even when Weird Al is in a fat suit, they couldn't look more different side by side, and yet they look the exact same. Three hours each day to get him into that fat suit and makeup. 
Oh my gosh. You got to be dedicated to your craft to spend that much time, you know, working it out. I mean, clearly this video had to have a big budget because those were some really, some really special, special effects because (laughs) the way his face fills out and his fingers and his body, it's really, I mean, for the time, this was the late eighties. That was some really like special stuff. The ability to just make someone look like they're being inflated like a balloon and including the hand. I noticed that, too, because I was like, I was struck by, wow, you can see the fingers getting bigger. And I know. I, I just I was really impressed by that part of it. And the costuming matches so completely. And when his body starts to inflate and you see the buckles, all those buckles that Michael's wearing in the original Pop. bad video start popping. It was really fun. And the and the quirky sound effects to everything. Weird Al's big on that with the sound effects in his music. But they also played on one thing, because like, you know how in most of Michael Jackson's music from that time, there's, you know, shouted invocations of like, ow, you know, things right. like that. Yes. I am not going to attempt. But it's he they they finally played off a a pun that I have loved for years, not using it in the same way, but you know, in a lot of our music maybe a little bit then, but much more so more recently is when you call somebody a hoe. Um, and at one point he's running out, they're running and he goes, ho, and somebody hands him a garden hoe. Right. I know. Like, that's hilarious. I know. And then when Michael Jackson's saying shamon. Ham on. Ham on. <laughs> it's so funny. And then what's so great too is, you know, of course, in stark contrast to Michael Jackson, here is Weird Al in this fat suit. And Michael is so agile. Like he just moves like he moves like he doesn't have bones in his body. It was just it's so incredible. It's like he's lighter than air. And then here's Weird Al in this suit trying to emulate these moves. And they're sloppy and clumsy. And he's exhausted because he's supposedly this overweight person trying to do all these moves. It's really funny to be able to see it in contrast with the original. From what I read, the reason Weird Al was inspired is because of where Michael jumps the subway turnstiles. Uh And he's like, (laughs) oh, our guy wouldn't be able to do that. And it becomes hilarious. It and becomes a big joke, yeah. Which brings us to kind of the crux of it, looking at it, you know, and, and you know, you judge something in the time it's in, you know, this is, what, 1988, so we're going 32, 33 years later. Yep. But I don't know if it's necessarily fat shaming. This is a great question because this was my immediate first thought also, and I was thinking, okay, two questions. Number one, does the video hold up today? And number two, is this video considered offensive? Because you could look at it and you can argue it both ways. I Googled and on Reddit, someone said, fat, the song, might be considered insensitive towards people who weigh more. But if you read the lyrics, he's actually saying he's awesome. Your butt is wide, well, mine is too. And the whole world knows I'm fat and I'm proud. What are your thoughts? I tend to agree with that analysis because... When you see him and, you know, the line of I'm fat, it's not said, it's said in the same tone as I'm bad, of, you know, as meaning right. tough, but he's like, oh yeah, well, I'm fat, you know, like I, I, I will see you and raise you, right. um, literally in this case. And right. 
they're not laughing at, I mean, they, they laugh at certain things, but I don't think like when they go to start running and the camera starts panning over and the camera is passing them and all the dancers who are heavier guys and, and weird out, like, like trying to catch and up yeah. and, and, and the camera stops and then pans back and they're right. all like leaning up against walls and stuff like that. And yes, he leans against a, a post and the whole post like creaks over and everything like that. I feel like you're laughing with him, not at him. And I think that's a key difference. Truthfully, like someone said in the comments on the YouTube, this is literally just a compilation of Yo Mama So Fat jokes put into a song. <laughs> Which are the a, a treasured moment of every child's I life. I mean, it's a tale as old as time, really, but I haven't found online that there's been big backlash for Weird Al. He hasn't had to face his old material in the same way that a lot of comedians have had to. I think by the nature of parody that you're making fun of the original and even in the parody, he's not mocking Michael Jackson per se. I mean, he's mocking the story, but he's, I don't think it doesn't feel. Well, And the larger question is, is he mocking overweight people? I don't think so. And that's an interesting question to ask our audience. What do you guys think? What do you think about fat? Do you think it still holds up? Do you think that it's problematic? I'd be curious. Yeah, I'd be very curious. The video has been viewed more than 65 million times on YouTube. And if you search up fat reaction videos, there's so many people watching the video for the first time and reacting to it. And I mean, people think it's funny. People are still laughing. I mean, that's kind of his brand of humor is Three Stooges. Very much so. Very slapstick. Physical comedy. Right. Curly's funny. And Curly's funny in part because he's a big guy. So when he falls on, you know, Mo and Shemp, he holds him down because he's a big guy. And just in this video at one point, you know, Weird Al falls on top of one of his dancers and the dancer's like, ah, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I'm sorry. That's funny. Not because he's, you know, I, I, it's just as funny if two thin guys, one falls into the other and you see Napoleon Dynamite crush somebody. It's still funny. Yeah. It does seem neatly linked that we go from eat it, too fat. <laughs> right. It seems like these two things go together. Right. Why don't you talk about what you found out about Weird Al performing this song live? This is from a Billboard article from 2019. The Grammy award-winning humorist has dropped his pair of well-known Michael Jackson parodies, Eat It and Fat, from the set this time out in the wake of HBO's Leaving Neverland documentary and the controversy that followed. I don't know if that's going to be permanent or not, Yankovic tells Billboard, but we just felt that with what's happening recently with the HBO documentaries, we didn't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. I felt I had enough fan favorites in the show that I could get away with it. I haven't gotten a lot of pushback. There have been some people who have expressed disappointment, but we decided to err on the side of not offending people. And maybe there hasn't been any pushback because he's so sensitive to his fans. And for a guy who's the nerd, he doesn't want to do anything that would further put you you back into your room. He did talk about the bright side, though. He said, it does, however, waive him of the responsibility of putting on the oversized fat suit during shows (laughs) in the summer heat. It's still in storage, Jankovic says, so it may come back someday. We'll see. Interesting. Did you read about his writing process? No. It's not a, oh, I'll just come up with this line and one and done. We're talking in the old ones, you know, the, the writer, he brings the writer in and he shows him a computer file. He's like, name a, name a song. And he named one of the songs and he starts showing him all the possible iterations 
of every word of every line of that wow. song. And there's not like one or two, there's like nine. I could change it this way. I could change it this way. I could change it this way. And he talked about that when he's in that writing stage, he just wanders around the house in kind of a vegetative state, trying them out and playing with them. And, he, and his line was, he's like, I'm probably going to be performing them for the next 20 to 30 years. So I better get it right. Yeah. And so he doesn't take it. I mean, you know, we think of parody that by its very nature, it's poking fun or it's, you know, mocking something. And you think, oh, well, it's just flippant. They're doing, he takes it seriously for a guy who was so smart. I, I just think that kind of shows the craftsmanship that goes into his songwriting. Ironically, it's parodying it, but he feels very strongly where they don't take even the recreation of the songs. They don't just karaoke it. They don't just go out and pull out the audio track of the existing song. And then he puts his in there. No, they perform the music separately. And that's really difficult. He even did more recently, <laughs> he did a Hamilton polka. Yes, and, um, I saw that. It's it's something where Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is a Weird Al obsessive, credits Jankovic as an influence on Hamilton. And wow. uh, Miranda once lip-synced Taco Grande, a Mexican food-themed parody of the 1990 hit Rico Suave, uh -huh. in front of his sixth grade class. He told me he prefers many Weird Al songs to the originals. Weird Al is a perfectionist, Miranda said, every bit as much as Michael Jackson or Kurt Cobain or Madonna or any artist he has ever spoofed. So you get the musical power of the original, along with this incredible twist of Weird Al's voice and Weird Al's brain. The original songs lose none of their power, even though they're on a polka with burping sound effects in the background. In fact, it accelerates their power. It's both earnest and a parody. I mean, it's truly amazing. I mean, in his own way, Weird Al really is an architect. He is right. constructing these songs and they have lasting power and they're smart. I think sometimes we forget about that. I think we look at the videos and they're silly and they're spoofy and slapsticky. And I think sometimes we forget about the true genius that goes into creating something like this, particularly something that is universally loved. I mean, that's a true art. Well, and it's trying to walk that fine line of parody without mockery. Without vulgarity. That that takes it to a whole new level. And the fact that he was able to thread that needle, not just once or twice, but repeatedly. I know. Um, throughout his entire career and to the point where you can look back on it now and you don't wince. Um, in fact, you know, it, we're, I know we're going to talk about Like a Surgeon, Part of me thinks he was ahead of the curve because his jokes about at one point where the surgeon reaches in with his forceps and takes the money out of the wallet. And I'm going like, oh, he's got the head. I mean, and that was what, 1984, 85, 85. Let's talk about it. We're here. Let's talk about like a surgeon, of course, a spoof to Madonna's 1984, like a virgin. This song was released on June 4th, 1985 on the Dare to be Stupid album, which I owned in cassette form. And played until the point where, uh, you know, when you and your tape would break and you'd <laughs> yes. have to like tape a section together. Sadly. And it would yes, mess up one of your audio, but it yes. would keep playing, damn it. This loops back around for y'all because th that was your very first episode of this podcast. It was episode one of the podcast. Kate and I covered Madonna's Like a Virgin. And so this was easily of the Weird Al videos that we're covering here today. This was my favorite. We open on Weird Al 
in a hospital. He's wearing a white blazer. It's not exactly a doctor's white coat, you notice, and like vans. And he's walking through the hospital into the ICU. Okay. So it was shot in an actual hospital that went out of business. And if you listen very carefully, you got to turn your volume up. When he's walking through the hall, you'll hear Dr. Howard, Dr. Fine, Dr. Howard, which is a nod to the three stooges, men in black. No, no reference to Will Smith. Okay. Which incidentally took place in the hospital and featured incompetent doctors. See, there's so many little Easter eggs in here. Like for true fans to be able to pick these things out, so much thought went into it. I just enjoy it because, again, I was introduced. I mean, I had heard the Madonna version. I like his better. It's just funnier. Oh, most certainly. And, you know, when once the music starts up and the fact that the heart rate monitor starts the, you know. To the tempo. Yes. Right. Yes. And of course, there's a lion in the hospital, just like in the original video. And you're like, what is a lion doing in the hospital? And it's the same question Kate and I asked on episode one. What is a lion doing here? <laughs> it's just as non sequitur as anything else. It's Isn't there a lion everywhere? But this is also the whole, the very premise. This is unique among all of Weird Al's songs. This song was suggested by Madonna. She was talking to a friend about this song and the friend said something like, oh, well, I wonder how long it'll be before Weird Al does that. And she said something like, yeah, it'll be like a surgeon or something. Well, the friend relayed that to a friend who relayed that to Weird Al and he went with it. And I think this is the only time that ever happened, right? He said he's not in the business of taking suggestions from people. Right. He's like, it's hard enough just to get my stuff out there. Right. And he he just, he takes it and he runs with it. So the music starts up and suddenly we have the lion who wanders across. We have the, the one, it took me a second to notice. There's a person on a bed that's being pushed along and there are feet at both ends. I didn't notice that. I'll have to go back and look at that again. You know, we get the, the x-rays, uh, one showing the skull of a chimpanzee, another with a <laughs> nail and a human skull, which you, you just wince at. Yes. One of the lyrics, something about, I was last in my class. Yeah. So it opens and it says, I was last in my class, barely passed at the Institute. So we see the doctors and nurses scrubbing up for surgery and some of them are washing their feet. <laughs> some of them are washing dishes. Right. We get into the operating room and we there's an operation game on the back wall. It was prominently displayed on the wall. And in terms of surgical tools, we see garden shears, a welding <laughs> gun. There's like cranks. Like there's just scary items. There's crayons on the surgical tray. There's a kitchen knife block. And I'm just like, oh, it's just making me squirm. Oh. Again, someone with more time than I did. A table of operating tools includes a... Hand drill, crayons, a rubber frog, drinking straws, a thin razored saw, salt and pepper, a blacksmith tool, a troll doll, kitchen knives, a corkscrew, and various others. <laughs> All of those make me feel really bad. And you know, Weird Al's like, okay, what's the most random stuff we can put on this surgical tray? How about the liquid bag that has a goldfish inside swimming I around? I saw that, yes. No animals were harmed in the making of this video. <laughs> Thank God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we see Weird Al wielding a chainsaw. Right. He's about ready to cut. Now, here's what's interesting. If you pay, here's one of those inside jokes. If you pay really close attention, the patient with the uh, painfully obvious fake brain showing, yes, the lobotomized yes. patient, uh -huh. he's reading a newspaper. The newspaper is called The Midnight Star, which is a reference to an earlier song by Yankovic called Midnight Star. 
Um, it's from the 3D album. It's an original song, and it's making fun of the tabloids, the Weekly World News and the National Enquirer okay. that you see, you used to see at checkout, you know? Yeah. And so it's it's literally saying, now I've got this guy in the video actually reading, reading the rag. It. And we have George of the Jungle on the display monitor for heart rate or something. Yes, the cartoon. The patient has a giant bullseye painted on them. There's a Madonna lookalike in the corner filing her nails. And it would have been great if that was actually Madonna. I wonder if she would have been game, you know? I mean, you know, right? hey, you took my idea. I'll do a cameo. Why you not? Know? It would have been fun. Yeah. The ventilator is coin operated. Did you see that? Yes, and and I liked it where they they huddled up, and you got the football player randomly on one side. So and weird. I just thought it was funny that they they bring the mask in only for a second, and then they bring the mask out. And I was kind of like going, oh, I, I thought they'd just bring the mask in, and then it would like fade to black because right. you would be like your eyes going down. But then they hand it off, and the other doctor comes in, inhales it, and then falls backwards, collapsing. And it's like, okay, that's funny. Oh my god. By the end of it, he starts dancing at the end of the video. And now it's not only a reference to, you know, everything that's gone on with Like a Virgin. Now we've got video from Lucky Star and the constant focus on Madonna's like abs and her belly button and stuff. Yes. When he's dancing in the hallway and rolling around the floor like Madonna in the Like a Virgin video, he's also on the gurney doing all this like similar moves that madonna did on the gondola and i i was dying it was so funny because he was moving just like her and and weird al trying to be sexy that is comedy right there someone said in the youtube comments cannot believe this parody has more production than the original (laughs) (laughs) probably a higher budget maybe which brings us to the video that if you said laugh smells like teen spirit by nirvana (laughs) it's an unlikely song to parody and yet ironically weird al credits michael jackson because he wanted what he wanted to do is michael jackson was releasing black or white and he wanted to do a spoof on it called snack all night again we're back with the eating theme and michael said no he said, I think it's too serious. I don't want you to spoof this one. And Weird Al was in a real funk. UHF, his movie had not performed very well. And he didn't really know what to do. But he credits Michael because he says, if he had let me do it, I would just become the guy who spoofs Michael Jackson songs. And that's you know a limited prospect at some point. But by doing this, he heard Smells Like Teen Spirit. And the first time he was like, no, it's not, you know, I mean, it's catchy. He actually, Weird Al himself, liked the song. It really resonated with him. He felt it. Um, and the angst and the agita and the frustration of, of grunge, um, which happened, what, the, the tail end of our high school careers? Well, for you, yes. I believe that that album came out either in late 91 or early 92. And I know from my research that Weird Al, he wanted to cover the song, but he was afraid that the song wasn't going to be popular enough for the parody to really like hit a nerve with people. Like if enough people don't know the original, then how successful can the parody really be? But he wanted to parody the song because he thought Nirvana was, quote, creating big seismic shifts in pop culture. He called it and they did. And so as the song was gaining popularity, he was like, this is great. So I can do it. 
And the song ended up being released on April 3rd, 1992 from his album, Off the Deep End. Now, the story of how he got permission is fantastic. Do you want to tell the story, Pat? From what I understood, and you tell me if I'm wrong, he he finally decided, all right, I want to do this, but I want to get Kurt Cobain's permission. And he was having a hard time getting a hold of him. Yes. And Victoria Jackson, who was one of the regulars on SNL, had also been in UHF. And so he called Victoria Jackson the night that that you know Nirvana was playing SNL and said, can you put him on the phone? And Cobain said, sure, that's great. And Dave Grohl said later that, you know, he's like, that's when we knew we had arrived, that Weird Al was going to make fun of ours. And and like you had mentioned, Kurt Cobain's question is, is it going to be about food? Is it going to be about food? And so when Weird Al said, no, it's going to be about your like unintelligible lyrics, Cobain said, oh, sure, of course, that's funny. Right. It is funny. And, and it's that ability to, again, laugh at yourself and you know, I wish, you know, looking back, I, I know you haven't covered Nevermind and, and Nirvana and the Seattle Sound, but God, I wish I wish Kurt Cobain could have laughed at himself a little bit more. You know, he might still be with us. I know. We come back to Michael Schur, who said, smells like teen spirit comes out. And it's like the perfect voice for all the simmering anger of an entire generation of kids. That song is vicious and angry and aggressive, but also laconic and disaffected and scary. And it was immediately a gigantic thing in American culture. Then Weird Al does smells like Nirvana and completely deflates it. The importance and the seriousness and the angst. There's a service he has always provided to remind people that rock is about grittiness and authenticity and finding your voice and relating to an audience. But it's also fundamentally absurd. Being a rock star is stupid. We as a culture are genuflecting at the altar of these rock stars and Weird Al comes out with his crazy curly hair and an accordion and he just blows it all into smithereens by singing about spam. It's wonderful. It is. It is wonderful. And in terms of the video, Smells Like Nirvana, Jay Levy, the manager and video director said, quote, with the Nirvana video, all the stars aligned. We were able to track down and book the same soundstage. That soundstage, in essence, is four bare walls. So you could be in any soundstage and not know that it was the one, but from a karmic standpoint, it was pretty heavy to be in the exact same space where they shot theirs. The vast majority of the fans in the bleachers were from the original Nirvana video. And the janitor, of course, was also the original janitor. I don't know that he even knew a thing about Nirvana. I believe he was a real janitor. He also took the cover for his album of Never mind. Yeah, the the baby in the you know in the pool chasing mm-hmm. the dollar now becomes Weird Al naked chasing a donut yes, on, a, on a fish. Yes. Um, Dick Van Patten from Eight Is Enough appears in the stands. Al said Dick Van Patten was an eleventh hour addition. We wanted a random celebrity, and on the day of the shoot, we were like, "Does anyone know a random celebrity?" And someone knew Dick Van Patten. <laughs> Well, and there's a there's an inadvertent cameo also. Tony Hawk, the skateboarding yes! legend, is in there because Birdhouse Skate Team was providing the quote skater punks for the video. And Weird Al didn't even know until Tony Hawk put out a 2009 tweet about it. And Weird Al was like, "Really? You know? <laughs> You're in my video? That's amazing." The cheerleaders are the same. The janitor who is so, you know, emblematic of the original video. He's perfect and clearly a ham. Oh, yeah. I mean, eating the donut, wearing the pink tutu. It was just so great because it's like the way the video opens, it's the exact same, that foot tapping on the gym bleachers, the, the Converse Chuck Taylors, and then that amber lit foggy gym. 
Did you catch that in the original video for Nirvana, the drum set says Chaka. In the Weird Al video, it just says drum. Right. <laughs> drum. And the drummer is wearing a shirt that says drummer. <laughs> was, the, was the Chaka a reference to Land of the Lost or something that I missed? I don't know if it was Chaka the Graffiti. I don't know. I'm I'm out of my loop on this one. Yeah, I know. And then we see Weird Al, you know, in the in the striped green shirt, just like Kurt Cobain with the blonde wig. But he's still wearing those glasses. Still right. wearing the the Weird Al glasses. And I liked. There's a guy in the audience who's got his head shaved, and if you look carefully, <laughs> the back of his head says "This space, space for rent." For rent. Yes, <laughs> right. <I> saw it. <laughs> You know, the original video, it erupts into a riot. Basically, these students in the stands, they're taking pieces of the drum set away. Like, there's just a lot of chaos going on in the gym. And we see that chaos matched in the Weird Al video. But now there's also, like, you know, a cow and there's a lamb and there's some Girl Scouts body surfing. It's like everything is just it's amplified. There's a fire in the original video. And then there's a man on fire <laughs> running around the gym. Followed by the basketball team actually playing on the basketball court. Yes. It's so funny. And I have to tell you, like when the students break out the kazoos. I love that moment. I lost it. The original was such a game changer that we went from pop being so packaged. To hair metal, we've got your poisons and Motley Crue's and, and all of this, right? And we go from that to, you know, three guys. And Dave Grohl was just recently interviewed and he it was really interesting because their new album has a bunch of disco songs on it. And Dave Grohl said, you know, um, you know, with Foo Fighters, he's like, I don't even read music. I didn't then. I'm not a very good drummer. I got all of my drumming technique from disco. And and the drummer for Weird Al talked about the struggles in replicating the beat and the tempo because it changes and it shifts throughout the song. And he said, we kept having to do it. Plus the drummer talked about the fact that he was headbanging. You can see him in the video shaking yes. his head. And uh-huh. he was sore for days after that. Like, really, do you have a favorite lyric to this? My favorite is the the complete nonsense lyrics that he says that Weird Al said, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night and I wrote these down because these, these are going to be important one day. <laughs> it says nothing. He says, I just can't get it through my skull. It's hard to blargle noddle zouse. <laughs> like, it just doesn't make any sense. And and then there's marbles coming out of his mouth in the video. He's gargling at some point with the lyrics. You can have the little inside jokes. One of the cheerleaders has an Alfred E. Newman from Mad Magazine tattooed on her. I didn't even see that. Well, did you see the, the, the cheerleader with the armpit hair? Yes. Yes, I did. It, are they shaming people who choose not to shave? No, they're just thinking it's funny because when you think of cheerleaders, you don't think of that. So it's kind of a non sequitur and it's funny. It's the unexpected humor. Yeah, sure. And, you know, the song, it actually did pretty well. It reached number 35 on the Billboard Top 100, and it was nominated for an MTV VMA in 92 for Best Male Video. So it's actually being nominated against- Real stuff. The real stuff, the real videos of the time. And you said this was the first time you ever saw this video? I hadn't seen it before. I mean, I, I had seen the the original, but I had never seen Weird Al's take on it. I just knew, you know, there reaches a point where in terms of your expectation, 92 was college and graduation and you were craziness. Busy. Yeah. So it just slipped through the cracks and we still didn't have cable. Which leads us to Amish paradise. <laughs> How appropriate. Love that segue. This is the one where Weird Al got burned. 
because he had spoken to Coolio's management and the management said, sure, that's fine. And then word got out that he was doing this and Coolio was not cool with him doing it. No, he wasn't. He was not ready to laugh at himself. So, of course, Amish Paradise is a parody of Gangster's Paradise from the film Dangerous Minds. With Michelle Pfeiffer. But Coolio went on, uh, went on the record of saying, I ain't with that. No, I didn't give it any sanction. I think my song was too serious. Uh, it ain't like it was with Beat It. Beat It was a party song. But I think Gangsta's Paradise represented something more than that. And I really, honestly and truly, don't appreciate him desecrating the song like that. And Weird Al wrote him an apology letter. I love that. I mean, he was still getting royalty checks. Coolio was still profiting off of this, even though he didn't want him to do it. But I think it's easy for us to be like, Coolio, you're so ridiculous. Like you're taking yourself too seriously. But with Michael, like black or white was really important to him. And that song had a message. And so from Coolio's point of view at that time, we'll learn that he came around to the idea of the song later. But at that time, This song to him was his black and white. This was an important song with an important meaning. And so for Weird Al to take it and parody it, he didn't want that for this piece of art. I can see it from his perspective. Well, a year later, uh, Coolio wrapped the couplet, fools be in the bars unadvanced with a switch, uppercuts and fight kicks with Weird Al Yankovic. Oh, he used it in a song. Okay. But but the lesson to, to Weird Al from this Um, was after Amish Paradise, he always made sure to speak directly with the artists and never rely on their management. Interesting. So he he got burned. In a 2016 interview with Sean Evans on Hot Ones, Coolio said, in hindsight, it was stupid of me to say something about Yankovic doing a parody of Gangster's Paradise. I guess it's Gangsta's Paradise. Yes. I mean, he did Michael Jackson. He did Prince. You know, people who were definitely more talented than I am. I think Prince did say something, but he wasn't very vocal about it like I was. And it just made me look dumb. It was one of the dumb things I did. And I'm willing to admit I did something stupid. Interestingly, Prince would not give his authorization. He didn't even want Weird Al to look at him. Do you not read that article, him. you know, like, don't look at him. Don't look at him, you know. And I, so I think it's kind of funny in Amish Paradise. There's a line in there that says, tonight we're going to party like it's 1699. Yeah. And, and the reference to 1999. And um, I don't get why Prince wouldn't give the go ahead. Sure. Have some fun with it. Be silly. You know, he never went for it ever. And I think Prince actually had kind of a wicked sense of humor. I bet something about Weird Al just rubbed him wrong. He did not want any part of that. So do you want to talk about the video for Amish Paradise? This is phenomenal. It it does, okay, strange, interesting things. If you pay very close attention, do you know the point where he's talking about where the where he's talking about the uh, the Amish shun electricity and there's the Amish people standing around they're like stamping down on like computers it was very and phones office and, space right yeah oh, great film the thing that's funny is if you pay close attention there's an LP album from Slim Whitman called I Love to Sing and apparently <laughs> it is the third time he has mocked Whitman. So I guess he just he just sees this guy as the epitome of, oh, this is like lame singing. That's so, so funny. Weird Al calling you out on lame singing. When, when Weird Al calls you out, wow, what have you done? Yes. So we open on Amish country. Okay. What do you think about this video just in terms of general sort of cultural appropriation and things like that? Like, I don't know that any of the lyrics were necessarily offensive, but the imagery, it just pokes so much fun. And I I don't know. 
I'm just wondering if, see, and I I couldn't find anything on the origin of it, but Gangsta's Paradise bubbles with danger and violence and death. You know, the possibilities that are always there. Where do you go if you want to go to the absolute antithesis of that? The absolute opposite on the spectrum. The peace-loving, war-hating Amish. I find myself wondering, I wonder if they see that. There's there's a tradition in the Amish called Rumspriggen, which is where their youth, when they're like, you know, 17, 18, 19, are allowed to go into the English world, into the, into the you know, the greater society to experience that if that's really what they want to do. So I don't know if it's, I, I question about the cultural appropriation. Part of me is thinking, and this is going to sound awful, they're not going to see it anyway. That's what the large majority of people in the YouTube comments said. They said, you know, is this offensive? Essentially, it doesn't matter. They're not going to see it anyway. And I'm like, okay, it does matter, even if they don't see it. Aside from the YouTube comments, I didn't find a lot online about it. There hasn't seemed to be much attention paid to it, other than the fact that this video has over 102 million views. It has way more views than the rest of the videos that we covered. I think one of the differences here is that we're moving into 1996, and this isn't like the 80s stuff from Madonna or Michael Jackson, the pop that we talked about previously. We're now moving into like rap, and that puts Weird Al further out of his comfort zone. And therefore, it's funnier to watch him trying to rap. And he again, he does it again with White and Nerdy in 2006, right. where it, it's so far beyond, and yet he jumps into it with both feet, like, you know, ranging, like we talked about the dance moves from Michael Jackson or his ability to just work it like Madonna. He's going to go feet first into rap. And so I don't see this as... Again, you know, maybe it's just me defending him, but if anything, he seems to mock the people who mock the Amish, you know, oh, I'll, you know, I got kicked in the butt and I turned the other cheek, but I'll be laughing when he's in hell. Like about the tourists in the video and how disrespectful they are and right. Right. There are things that I think he's poking fun at, like when the boys are looking at the, uh, the the (laughs) equivalent of porn. They're looking at Amish babes and the cover slogan says, plow my field. And when you pull up the centerfold, she's pulling her her leg up to the knee. And it's like, okay, that would be considered scandalous to them. But again, that would be considered scandalous to them. So, Right, like the sundial on the wrist for a watch, uh like little things like that. And I, I think there was even a nod in this video at some point to like witness the film. Yep, because it's in Lancaster. And of course, we see Florence Henderson, the mom from the Brady Bunch, in the Michelle Pfeiffer role, wearing her, the traditional Amish, I don't even know what, it's like a bonnet. But when Weird Al takes off his hat and he's got the Coolio braids. I thought that was pretty cool. Again, because it's unexpected. That is the last thing. And so when he pulls off the hat and he's got the Coolio braids, it's funny. It's it's a sight gag because that's, you would never expect to see that. Yeah. But I, I also like the line in there of no phone, no lights, no motor car, not a single luxury like Robinson Crusoe. It's primitive as can be, which is the closing theme song to Gilligan's Island. Yes. Again, there's going to be a generation that doesn't get that reference at all. Right. And I like how in the original Gangsta's Paradise, LV keeps sweating. He's, he's the guy with the refrain who's, yes. you know keep spending all our lives living in a gangster's paradise. And now we've got Weird Al doing it and he keeps getting sweatier and sweatier and sweatier, dripping down the beard. That becomes funny. But Weird Al's parents, Nick and Mary, appear as Amish people in this. 
Oh, and did you know what ended up happening to his parents? Eight years later in 2004, carbon monoxide poisoning. To lose both of your parents suddenly. At the same time. And he was set to go on stage. His wife called him and (sighs) told him about it. And he decided to go on with the show because he said, you know, so many people have talked about how my music got them through really, really rough patches. He's like, maybe it could do the same for me. And he said it was actually a good thing because otherwise I would have just spent all my time sitting around weeping and I needed to kind of cathartically get through it. I mean, it's a devastating tragedy. I was shocked when I read that because he was close with his parents and he was an only child and to lose both of them at the same time, it's just, it's shocking. Right. The other part of it is he had married um, Suzanne, I'm going to mispronounce her name, Krajewski um, in 2001. And, you know, they they had a daughter soon thereafter because she's now, what, 18. But when she was going to be introduced to him, she's like, oh, God, who am I? I'm going to be, he's going to be crazy <laughs> and loud. And uh, the New York Times Magazine said he turned out to be the opposite. Offstage in his civilian life, Yankovic is shy introverted, extremely private, and unfailingly polite. Among the big personalities of the world, and that's where Sandberg talks about how nice he is and how he never swears. And so his wife fell for him. She's she's a marketing person for 20th Century Fox, or was. Uh, I don't know if she's still working in the field. But I mean, just again, we're the genuinely nice guy. He's a vegetarian. Yeah. He tries to be vegan, but occasionally he'll slip into cheese pizza. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... You talk about gutsy. When the barn is raised, the frame falls towards Yankovic, who is standing where a gap in the frame is. Yankovic performed this stunt himself. He has acknowledged that this gag is a Buster Keaton homage. According to Yankovic, in a 2020 interview, the scene was extremely dangerous to record. The wooden frame was reinforced with steel beams to prevent it from torquing. So if Yankovic was hit by the frame at all, he would have died instantly. Oh, my God. And yeah, and you go back and it, it casts new light watching it. The other one was near the very end. Yankovic is reaping crops with a scythe, then walking away from a barn while the animals move in reverse motion. For this effect, the scene was recorded normally while Weird Al walked backwards. And this is what blew my mind and lip synced the words backwards. I read that. So when the scene is shown back, when the scene is shown backwards, he's walking forward and his limps are in sync with the song itself. Imagine how much practice that had to take. I want to know who they go to and say, hi, I need you to give me the lyrics. How would I lip sync them backwards? backwards. I just that that it's blows amazing. my mind. But I was just overall I the, the, the whole thing, both the concept, the humor, the Gangster's Paradise original video was such a powerhouse independent of the movie but when you combine it with the movie and the story that that told and everything it was heavy and he comes in and makes it funny (laughs) and that's hard i'm just grateful he did it so we've got the giggles this song reached number 53 on the billboard hot 100 so people liked it apparently well and you mentioned it's got more views than any of the other ones we talked about yeah i mean i've followed his career here and there the, the other one that I find more recently that I enjoy is, remember the, the Robin Thicke Blurred Lines? Right. And he did Word Crimes, which for an English teacher, I was dying. <laughs> You're like, this spoke to me in a really big way. <laughs> well, and it's something that I could, uh, you know, I teach seventh and eighth grade. I can show my kids that and not have to edit or worry about, oh, my God, they're going to say something that, you know, could be bad. Right. 
he had a great quote and he said, I think Robin Thicke was just grateful. The only thing I was making fun of was his grammar. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Nonetheless, I think Weird Al is a national treasure and will continue to be. And the profile that was written on him is a worthwhile read if you can get past the paywall. And it's kind of sweet that, you know, years later, he's in this exclusive club and has left a body of work. He's not done yet by any stretch of the imagination. And he talks about the fact that the the whole model has changed. He doesn't have to race around and figure out what's on the top charts and which one is he going to have fun with. He can do whatever he wants and then, you know, dump it online and say, there you go, you know. Right. There's a real freedom in that. Sure. The New York Times Magazine article by Anderson ends with, you know, he's very clearly a fan. You know, the writer is a fan from the beginning, but he ends by saying, Joel Miller, the friend who defended Yankovic from college bullies, said the relationship between Weird Al and his hardcore fans is deeply personal. He's giving them validation, he told me. They feel a kindred spirit. When they're at his concerts, they're in a safe space. They are able to be stupid or outlandish or whatever, exactly as they want. And nobody judges them. In fact, it's the opposite. People appreciate them for what they are, not for what they aren't. The connection is so deep that it is more like emerging. And after a while, it struck me that Weird Al has basically spent his whole life making his music for exactly these people, which is to say for his childhood self. For many decades, he has been trying to delight Alfred Jankovic, the bright, painfully shy kid who grew up alone in his tiny bedroom. For the benefit of that lonely boy, he reshaped the whole world of pop culture. His ridiculous music sent out a pulse, a signal, and these were the people it drew, the odd, the left out, a crowd of friends for that lonely kid. As I watched him with his fans, sometimes I felt as if Weird Al was multiplying all around me, multiplying inside of me. We were one crowd, united in isolation, together in a great collective loneliness that once you recognized it, once you accepted it, felt right on the brink of being healed. Oh, mic drop. It's that kind of thing that we talked about at the beginning, that everyone has that embarrassing, awkward, cringy part of themselves that we've all had and we've all been. And And Weird Al celebrates it. Oh, he owns it. He's not just saying, yes, it exists. I, I admit to this thing. He's saying, it's kind of funny. These are the things that make us unique and different and special. And that's bold. And it's important. His work is actually important. And I think that that's kind of the thing that's missing a lot of the time when we think about Weird Al. The genius is really there and the music actually matters and it brings people together. And at the end of the day, can you ask for anything more? You can't. You've done what you've set out to do and there's really no one like Weird Al. It all kind of harkens back to Homer Simpson. He who is tired of Weird Al is tired of life. And as long as we have Weird Al and we have his music, life's just funny. Thank you for the opportunity to be here and talk about, gosh, my childhood. Thank you so much for coming on. And I know we had something else picked out for our episode here, but... We'll circle back around. Yeah, we will. And I remember you being a fan of Weird Al and I remember you having the cassette tape. That's probably because I locked you in the car and turned the volume up and you were forced to listen to it, whether you liked it or not, going, this is stupid. (laughs) I liked it. I continue to like it. So, you know, thank you for being here. And thank you, my fellow Gen Xers, for listening. I'd like to remind you to visit us on the interwebs at theuntitledgenxpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at theuntitledgenxpodcast. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye. Practice your accordions. <laughs>